0: If you uh, have your Bible, you might want to turn to that. Thank you, Pat. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, you have your iPad, your iPhone, your Android. Uh, just go down the list. And uh, if you like regular paper Bibles, we have some of those in the back, too. Uh, and you're welcome to, if you don't have one, pick one up, take it with you. Good news is now there's no reason if you have a computer not to have a Bible because there's free software out there called Uversion and others as well that you can get. ...that I use all the time as well. So uh, it's great to, to have all those. We come uh, today to uh, the second week of a two-part sermon, in a sense. Last week we did the first half of a sermon. This week uh, we did the second part, but I have to go back and kind of tie them together a little bit... ...because uh, we were talking last week about this whole thing of a power of total surrender. And I shared with you that back when we began Acts several months ago, Acts 1-8 was the key verse there. And the key verse in Acts 1-8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was the key verse that talked about the purpose in a sense of, of what Acts was all about. It's the verse that everything else in Acts is fleshed out from about how the church the early church those people became the witnesses and spread the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ ever, for, wherever they went. Last week as we came a little bit further and we shared that the last few chapters of Acts could be kind of put together in a sense and call it the power of total surrender, I actually said there was going to be a two-week message last week and this week. And actually, in a sense, what Chris is teaching next week kind of goes along with this as well. He'll actually have some students up here, I understand, that will be sharing some testimonies about uh, and sharing and talking. I don't know exactly what you're going to do. We'll find out next week. But on the same verse, because it all kind of goes together, it flows together, the power of what happens in our life when we have total surrender to God, how God's power works in our life, how the Holy Spirit works in our life in that way. Now, last week, uh, going back a little bit and talking about what we already uh, talked about, if you were here, this is to review. If you weren't here, this kind of brings you up to date. We actually were looking at Acts chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. And uh, we're going to be looking at some verses there. Most of those will not be on the screen today because it's too many verses to put up on PowerPoint. And so I encourage you to read the Bible as well. And so we, we want that. The first thing last week we talked about, the first thing that happens uh, that we see in the life of someone who has total surrender to Christ is we see the power of just one purpose in their lives. One of the things that was clear in Paul's life was he was very focused, very driven by one purpose in his life. Back in Acts twenty twenty four, 24, uh, he kind of gives that purpose. He says, this is the purpose, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, God's, uh, of the grace of God. The thing we saw here, and we read, if you can go back, and I'm not going to read these verses, but I would encourage you to go back if you've not read them last week or this week already, uh, the verses in Acts 21, and read that, because the first thing it talks about in the first 15 verses is this power of one purpose, that in our life when we have the power of one purpose, that purpose being following God's plan for our life, uh, that it gives us a, a focus in life, it gives us an incredible power in life. And there's three things that we learned last week I want to mention briefly uh, this morning that really helps us a lot. The first thing is this, is if you look in there in Scripture, you'll find that Paul was not, dissu- not dissuaded from his mission, his purpose, by uh, the opinions of others. In coming to making a decision, the Christian is told it's, it's important to get with you know, other people who are believers and to talk through and to get wisdom from counselors. But when we know that it's God's will and we've gone through that process, one of the things we need to do is stay on task. So easily, we live in a world of opinions. And it's not about opinions. It's about looking at God's Word, discerning what God wants us to do, and following that plan. And we saw that in, in Paul's life. Uh, twice we see in the first 15 verses that... Some of the believers in the early church simply heard the same thing that Paul heard from the Holy Spirit, but they interpreted it in a different way. They thought that that even though the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, something's bad is going to happen to you, you're going to be bound, you might get uh, uh, some really bad things happen to you in Jerusalem, Their, their interpretation that means don't go. But Paul didn't see it that way. Paul said, well, that just means warning, these things will happen. And so I better be careful. And so the first thing is, is having that power of one purpose. It keeps you on track regardless of what else everybody else is saying. The second thing I saw there we talked about last week is, uh, with Paul is that uh, by living this power of one purpose, it doesn't place any limits on following Christ. In verse 21 or chapter 21, verse 13, this is what Paul says. I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem. Now, does that sound like there's any boundaries there? That's called all, it's all in, okay? Using card terms. It's all in. He, he, he threw everything, all the cards on the table. He was all in. And uh, he didn't place any limits on following Christ. He said, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And that's one of the things that God gives us as well. And then he said also, uh, he, and, he, and the last thing is he lived for one purpose. Because the last part of that same verse, 21:13, 13, uh, it, sa- it continues. It says, I'm doing this for the name of the Lord Jesus. He, his, his purpose was not about his reputation. We talked about this last week. It wasn't about the reputation of Paul. It was about the reputation of Christ. He lived for one purpose, for the name of the Lord Jesus. He understood this, that he was an ambassador for the name of Christ, and people would be forming opinions and assessments about who Jesus is because they would watch his life. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, I, as we had these folks standing up here this morning who are going to be um, uh, the host families... In a sense, guess what's going to happen over a four-week period with those students? The students are going to look at their lives. They're going to see how they interact with each other. They're going to learn from that. And they're going to assess in a real way what it means to be a follower of Christ. I'm not putting pressure. I'm just being, re- it's reality. Our kids do the same thing every day if we have children. They look at us and they it's not what you say, it's what you do. And so the issue is here, Paul says, he says, you know, when you have this one purpose in life, when you follow this purpose, you're not scattered all over the place, what happens is is it gives you this, this power, this power in your life, and that's the Holy Spirit allows you to do that. Now, the second thing we talked about last week, and it followed off in verses 17 through 32 of Acts 21, is that this power to endure a false accusation. In our lives, so often, it's really easy to go through life and to be calm and collected and everything going well, as long as things are going well. But the first time somebody, uh, threatens you, or the first time somebody puts you down, or whatever, it seems that sometimes what happens, there's, that's when the ugliness comes out in us sometimes. Right? Yeah, no. You, no, it's only you, Pastor. I mean, how do you respond? How do you respond when people say things against you that's wrong? How do what do you respond? Well, this is what you do. You deny it. I didn't say that. Or, or you, you demand, take that back. I didn't do that. Or, we strike back. So we just say, we just turn it around on them. What about you? You know, if they, if they say something to it, it's, it's wrong. But see, Paul, and if we look at these verses, you can read them, Paul being totally surrendered to Jesus Christ, he had no thought for his own reputation, no ego, no pride in the matter. And so they, they asked Paul to go in, and then you read those verses last week, we talked about them, about going, and because people were making these false accusations, instead of going and demanding or, or, or denying or all the things he, we usually do, he basically went... And he says, "Hey, I'll do this. There's these four guys going through this Nazarite vow. I will go along with them. I'll do it, not because I need to, but simply because I want the name of Christ to be held up high." And he said, "When I do that, he said, and I'll even pay for it." And he does it. And what did they do? We talked about this. They didn't follow. They they didn't respond. The way he thought they would respond. Because the thing is, it's not about how they respond. When you do the right thing, it's not about how people respond to you. Sometimes they will respond in the right way. Sometimes they won't respond to you in the right way. But the reality is, is you do do the right thing because it's not about yourself. You do the right thing because you want to honor God. You want to hold his reputation up. Because you're surrendered to him. And you don't think that just because you do the right thing, automatically people will respond in the right way. If you've lived life longer than five minutes, you realize that's true. Just the reality of life. And so that was the thing. But the thing is, is that we understand in our life that when we live in the Spirit's power, which God promises us in Acts eight, as we become believers, the thing is, it allows us, when we're misunderstood, and when we're, things go wrong in our lives, and people don't respond the way we, we want them to, even when we do the right thing, it really doesn't matter, because we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it to uphold the honor in the name of God. Now this week I want to talk about what happens past that because as we read in Acts chapter 21 verses uh, those last few verses up through verse uh, 37 up through 36 actually um, we read some crazy things that went on there. I thought it was it's kind of crazy because what Paul does is he does all the things right to prove that he wasn't against the law and then what do they do? They respond by getting angry and actually trying to just beat the pulp out of him. I mean, literally it says that in Scripture. I mean, they're just beating and wailing away on him. And what happens is the soldiers come, it says, and they take, we read this last week, and they take him to try to take him away. And the crowd is so violently opposed to him that they have to pick him up physically and carry him off. And these are the people he's been trying to talk to. And then and then something crazy happens. That's where we all this week in Acts 21, verse 37. So you have your Bibles. Turn there. We're going to look at that. I'm going to read some of these things, comment on some of them, and talk about the outcome of what happens here. Because the third thing I saw in Scripture very clearly is when the power of the Spirit comes into you, and God lives in your life, and you have this power in your life, the third thing that happens is you have the power to testify in the midst of opposition. The power to testify in the midst of opposition. Verse, chapter 21, verse 37. Remember what had just happened. These people had beat him up. The, the soldiers are carrying him off. And this is the next verse. As the soldiers are about to take Paul into the barracks, Paul stops him and he asks the commander, may I say something to you? And they have this little conversation, and I won't read that part of the thing, but basically Paul says, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Sicilia, uh, a citizen, so forth. Please let me speak to the people. So these people would just beat on him. He wants to speak to him Now, from our human nature, what do you think he's getting ready to say? If somebody just beat the tar out of you, that's a Virginia term. I don't know if you all use that here, but that's a good term. Beat the tar out of you, what what would you do? you Would you turn around and go, oh, that was so nice? What are you doing? You're angry, yeah, right? I mean, you want to just... Turn it around on. I want to speak to these people. That's not what he does here. It's crazy what he does. I mean, it's supernatural what he does. Because he says, it says in verse uh, chapter 22, there it says, when they were all silent, the, the commander let him do it, and it says, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers. Listen now to my defense. And so he starts talking. And if you read the next few verses here, uh, verses uh, 3 through 21, basically what you s- uh, see here is him giving his testimony. His testimony. He just simply shares with them, hey, guys, I mean, I used to be this guy that went around and, and, and killed Christians. I did. I, this is the way it was. Then I had this experience on the Damascus Road, and, and this happened to me. I came to know Christ. And since then, this is what's been going on in my life. He told in a few brief words there his testimony. Now, what was Paul's expectation, you think? Let's just ask ourselves the question. When Paul turns around and was able to speak to the people, what do you think his expectation was of their response? You can speak out loud. You don't have to speak out loud, though. You can just be quiet if you want to. But what, what do you think his response was? Anybody know? Positive. I mean, if you gave your testimony to these people, you spent the time, and you've been nice to them after they just beat you to a pulp, You expect them to respond in a positive way, right? Well, no, that doesn't happen here. It's really interesting because in verse 22, it says the crowd listened to Paul until he said the last few words there in verse 21. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Just because, sounds like politics. No, no. (laughs) Steve works down in. I just thought about that, Steve. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, but the thing is, is that, you know, people were really, they were just nasty to him. I mean, they were saying, rid the earth of him. Just keep that in mind. And he continues to talk about, so that once again, the the commanders have to take him. and, And as you read through the next few verses down to about verse 29, the story is they have to physically take him away again. Even though he's told his testimony, he's spoken the truth. He's not done it in a harsh way. You read the words yourself. It's simply his telling telling his story. And the response is not the response he wants to have. And then it says in verse 30 in chapter 22, it says, The next day after this happened, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. And so he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Now, once again, you can read through this, the next few verses of chapter 23. The first, about ten verses. And he has this encounter with the religious leaders. And he once again starts to share some stuff. Not in a, a mean way, but the first thing they do, the religious, the head of the religious leaders tells them, hey, you know, he says something and they tell, he tells them to slap Paul upside the head. Basically is what he says right there. And Paul has this little confrontation with the religious leaders, and he goes on. And at the end of that, as a key verse in verse 11 of chapter 23. After these encounters, all this stuff's happened. He's been beat up. He's shared his testimony. He's accused of all kinds of things. People want to kill him. He goes before the religious leaders. All these things happen, and he continues to share. And then in verse 11, it says this. After all this, the following night, in verse 11 of chapter 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, I thought about this, and I'm asking myself this question. It, you know, in the deal, when you share your testimony, aren't you supposed to close the deal? And aren't people supposed to, you know, just fall at your feet, accept Jesus Christ, and say, yeah, I want to, you know... Doesn't revival supposed to break out when you have the boldness to go and share your testimony with somebody else? Isn't that the way it's supposed to happen? We live in a world where you do, you, you sell things, you know. But the issue here is that this is God. It says, it says the following night, the Lord God stood near Paul and said, take courage. You have done what you what I called you to do. You have testified. What were the results Did we know in any of the scripture? The last couple of chapters that one person came to know Christ because of Paul's testimony. Do we see any evidence of that anywhere here? The answer is, no. We don't see a single person who've accepted Christ, but the Lord says, the Lord God says to him, "You have done what I've told you to do to be to testify." Now that's important for us, folks, because so often we are the ones who won't share because we think we have to close the deal. We think we have to sell people and we have to get them to you know, notches on our Bible belt or whatever it is so that we can say that we've led these people to Christ. I've heard those tests. But, folks, the thing that we're called to do is just tell our story in a loving way to people and then let the Holy Spirit work. Now, we don't know what happened in the results of all these things, but we see that here. And he said, not only have you done what I've told you to do, now what I want you to do is keep doing that because now you're going to do it in Rome. And if you think Jerusalem was a place that you weren't very well accepted, just wait till you get to Rome. The question I looked, when I looked at all this is this. What is the power? When, when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, what does this power enable us to do? And I look at the, the example of Paul because where Paul was and where Paul is in Scripture, we've looked at Paul. Where was the first time we saw Paul in, in the book of Acts? We've been studying all the way through Acts. Where was the first time we ever heard the word Paul? His name was Saul then mentioned. Acts 8.1. And what was he doing? He was been a good Christian, right? No. He was being one of the instigators of the stoning and killing of a Christian named Stephen. He was a, a spiritual terrorist. He, he was a person who had this, this incredible racial hatred. That's where we see Paul the first time. But then he goes along the way, and, the whole, and he has this encounter. We see it later. We read about this and studied it earlier, this encounter. I think you talked about this, Chris. The encounter that Paul had or Saul had on the, on the Damascus Road. And as he came there, he had this encounter, and the God's Spirit comes and lives within him, and he begins to change him. And we go from the spiritual, terrorist, racially biased person to now we see a person who sees people and loves people in a totally different way. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives when we allow him to work in our lives. He doesn't make us spiritual superheroes. What he does, he humbles us. He allows us to be go before people. He allows us, in a sense, to see people as God sees people. Because the only way that a person could possibly uh, uh, respond the way Paul did to these people that just wanted to beat him up in chapter 21, and literally the only reason they didn't kill him was because the soldiers came and took him away, the only way he could stand before them calmly and give his testimony it's because it was something supernatural in his life, a power beyond himself. It wasn't Paul doing it. It was Paul being led by God's Spirit. That's what happens when the Spirit lives in us fully. We can, we can have this one purpose, this one focus. We can deal with the criticisms of life. And we continue to, to be a witness for God regardless of how people respond to us. And ultimately what it does, it allows us to speak truth into their lives because we love them. You know, from day one, the, the purpose of Great Oaks has been this. And we said this ten years ago when I came here. We said that the purpose of Great Oaks is not just to be church, not just to have people show up. Our purpose is to reach people who are unchurched, reach people who do not know Christ. Because there's lots, we, we discern this, there's lots of churches out there that, that, are, that are reaching Christians, But we knew that in the Germantown Hills and in Metamore and East Peoria and Washington and all these areas, there's not a whole lot of churches, though, that are reaching people who just don't want to go to church. So we said, we'll start doing church in a different way. We'll do our worship in a different way. We'll do some other things in a different way. Not just to be different, but because we have strategically the purpose of trying to stay and reach the people that other churches cannot reach. Because we believe that Acts 1-8 is our purpose. And we're to love God, love people, the great commandment. And that means that we have to put ourselves aside and we have to raise, raise other people up in God's name high above, to other people. And so that's why we do what we do. And the, only, the, the scariest part for me as a pastor after 10 years of this church is that we can lose our momentum and lose our focus and we can begin to think, well, it's about me and my needs, and my wants. Folks, you know, I'm glad that you came, and I don't know why you came here, truthfully. You know, I really don't. There's an inordinate amount of people that come to Great Oaks that don't know Christ. Because they asked me some, you know, over the years, I've had some incredible conversations with people in my office who have thought through a lot of different things, and they, they really, you know, struggle with stuff, but it came down to the one thing. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? That was the one question that, that they had the answer and the thing is, is that I began to ask myself that, because, you know, I'll share and I shared this first service, I'll do this this service as well, is that it doesn't mean that we don't want, you know, people, that if you came from another church tradition and you came here, it doesn't mean we don't want you. But it's kind of like when I went fishing with, uh, with Randy this last, last summer. Uh, I went to Randy's church, one of our leadership team people. I went fishing, and we went in Canada. And when we went fishing, what we did is our focus was, was walleye. We went up there and we caught hundreds of walleye. I don't know how many, hundreds. Thousands, no, hundreds, dozens. I don't know how many we caught. We caught a bunch of walleye, okay? We were up there like seven, eight, seven days fishing every day, just pulling your, you know, out of your sockets. And we, we fished, and their bait was specifically walleye bait. But that's not all we caught. About every tenth fish, we pull out a northern pike. Now, we didn't go, oh, I don't want to catch them fish. No, what we did is we said, well, that's a great, that was a great fight because, man, northern pike will give you a fight, I mean, Randy caught one that was, like, huge, like pulling a boat around everywhere, and it was monstrous. But the thing is, is that, see, our purpose was, it doesn't mean we're not excited about that, and we're glad that you're here if you came to Great Oaks and you came from another church, but literally we do church so that we can reach people who are unchurched. And we're glad you came and you're part of the team for that purpose. And it's easy to lose track of that when we, when we don't stay on the one purpose that God has given to us, like Paul did in his life. Because the power of the Holy Spirit will allow us to put ourselves aside, not worry about who we are, and will allow the rest of race and worry about the reputation of Christ in this community and in this world. And I, and I think about some of the things that are going on in this church because I wonder, you know, why do people uh, spend hours and hours and hours planting a garden back here on the back of our property and they're not going to eat the food out of it you know we did we have people that do that we have a community garden back here it's not for people it's and the reason they're doing that is because they want to take the take the food they want to raise it up and they want to give it to the food pantry for people who need uh more than just canned goods that's the purpose of it it's not about them What a people, a bunch of mostly ladies, pretty much, come in here once a month, nine months a year during the school year. This room is filled up with tables and all kind of little stuff and put together, spend hours and hours and hours putting together little bags of things called snack packs that go out to all of the schools in in this area that will let us do that to help the kids who are on free lunch to have an extra meals on the weekend. Nobody pats them on the back and goes, oh, that's great. They do it because they have the mind of Christ in them. That the God's Spirit changes us. That our, our focus is not on us. It's on them. Does that make sense? That's what the power of the Holy Spirit's about. That's what happens in our life. That's what happened to Paul. He became less focused on Paul. Paul was all focused on Christ. Paul was always ready to share his testimony. And you'll find, and I don't know, Chris, how you're going to handle it next week, but you'll find there's about three or four other times in the next few chapters where Paul takes his basic testimony and shares it in different scenarios. That basic story. And all of us have a basic story. We just need to make sure that we have thought about what it is. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. If you're a believer, you need to know what your testimony is. So this is how you do it. Next slide. Your testimony, and this is something I did with youth for years when I was a student pastor. I said, in two to five hundred words, answer these next three questions, all of them together, in two to five hundred words. The less words, the better. What life, my life before Christ, what led me to accept Christ, and how following Christ has changed me. Those three questions. If you thought through that in your, in your head, guess what? When you have the opportunity, God will give you opportunity to share that in a, in a setting. It doesn't mean that people will accept it and go, yes, Jesus, I want you. No, sometimes they'll look at you like they did Paul and go, like, you're a nuts. But you notice what God did. He said to Paul, said, you're doing exactly what I've called you to do. Testify, be a witness, empowered by the Spirit. One of the greatest testimonies that I've ever heard in my whole life was actually done by a guy who wrote it down as a song. It's one of the greatest stories, I think, in all of history about the purpose and the the writing of a song. There was a guy back in the late 1800s, his name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford had a bunch of traumatic events in his life. And first of all, though, he was a lawyer. He was in Chicago, just up the road. He knew Dwight L. Moody. He knew him as well, and and, uh, he was a friend of his. He was a Christian. Horatio Spafford was a committed Christian. He had five children, and the first child, his only son, at the age of four, died in 1871 of a disease. Shortly after that, they had he had had, had, uh, developed a lot. Besides being a lawyer, he had developed a lot of real estate, and along came the Great Chicago Fire, which basically almost ruined him financially. Then in 1873, he, he decided he was planning to go to Europe, uh, and Dwight L. Moody had, had invited him and his family to come over and be a part of a, a crusade that was going to be going on and some visit with him over there. And, and so on his, as he was planning to leave on the trip, um, some problems came up, some zoning problems following the Great Chicago Fire, and so he sent his family on his head, he his wife and his four daughters, and they were on the boat and ship going across the Atlantic Ocean. And as they were going across the Atlantic Ocean, what happened was they collided with another ship. The, the, the ship they were in quickly sank, and there was just very few survivors. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters died. His wife was one of the few that they found clinging to a life raft. And after she got onto Europe and the, the, the boat that saved a few survivors took her to Europe, she sent this famous telegram to him and said, Saved alone. What now? Spafford decided to go across the ocean to meet with his wife. And as he was traveling across the ocean after all this tragedy, he came to the place and he asked the, he asked the ship's captain, tell me when we're going to be close to the place where my children died. And as he gets to that place, he penned some words that were basically more of a poem that were basically meant to be just his thoughts. And it became one of the greatest hymns of all time. It is well with my soul. That wasn't the end for Horatio Spafford, though. After he wrote that, he continued to follow God. And, and, and he had three more children, one of whom a son died in infancy. But in 1881, the Spaffords, including their two youngest, their two children that were still alive, they set sail for Israel. The Spaffords moved to Jerusalem and founded a, a group called the American Colony. Its mission was to serve the poor. In the midst of all the tragedy, I ask myself, how can a person do that? How can they stay on track? How can they stay on purpose? How can they have that one purpose in their life? And I say, only through the power of the Holy Spirit can a person do that. We're going to close our service this morning by singing that song. And as we sing the words of that song this morning, I hope you'll think about the context of what these words are. To a man who wrote them as he was on his boat, on the ship, across the ocean, at the exact place they thought were his four daughters, had died just weeks before. Let's pray. God, without a doubt, you are more than what we need. God, you've proven time and time again that what you say is true, even though a lot of people don't believe it. Even though people will sometimes, when we share with them what God has done in their life, will look at us and say, oh, you know, that's, just, that's just myth. But God, through the power of the testimony of Paul in Scripture, through the power of somebody like Horatio Spafford, through the power of so many things that go on in our lives, God, we, we realize that, that your Spirit really does work in us when we allow it to. You promised God the power to live life in a way that we cannot live it outside of you. And God, my prayer this morning for me and for each one of us here is that we would live in the power of one purpose. That we would be able to face whatever opposition that comes our way in a way that would honor and uphold your reputation. And that we would continue to be a witness for you, God, not only with what we do, but with what we say wherever we go. Thank you, God, for your incredible love for us. May we sing this song this morning as a commitment to you. And God, as we, as we can close this service today, if there's anyone here who needs to talk with someone, to pray with someone, to take a next step with you, God, may they have the, the power, be empowered this morning to go over to the prayer room and just sit down with someone and pray with them. We thank you, God, for the book of Acts, what it teaches us. But most of all, God, how it helps us to live life in a way that would honor and please you. And hold your reputation high. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.